Hi, and welcome to That Will Never Work. Today on the show, I'm with an old friend, Paul Bennett. He's the founder of a company called Cicero Learning. It's a business that helps families with the problem of global educational access on a bespoke basis. It's an educational method called world schooling. But what on earth is world schooling and how can you get customers educated on what it is, why they need it, and why it's worth it? Can a custom education be made to feel accessible? Let's explore how we can break down these barriers. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Paul, welcome to That Will Never Work. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's great to see you and to be on the show. Congratulations. I haven't seen you since the book came out and all of that. So really. I'm still the same humble, lovable guy that you've always uh, you've always known, Paul. <laughs> but listen, so it sounds like you have, I hate to even say it, put down roots. You're, you've been in South Africa now for uh, for quite a while. Is, has the surfing been the thing that has locked you down? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it is an absolutely incredible place. Um, and we had no idea when we came, just thought, okay, we got to get around the Cape of Good Hope and on our way back to the U.S. and to complete a circumnavigation. And then we stopped here and it's just been incredible. The pandemic, of course, has slowed us down, but mostly it's just been a great place to to stop and also to launch Cicero and do a little work. So did I get it right? Uh, did Cicero spring from this frustration with how hard it is to actually prepare? Um, you have, is it two daughters, if I remember, for college? I got three daughters. Um, one is in college now. One's just been accepted to college. And then the you know, the third is, is watching from the sidelines. So what you tell me specifically, what was the problem you were trying to solve and, and what approach did you take? Yeah. So as you mentioned at the outset, we live on a boat, right? So we are uh, homeschoolers or more specifically, we're what's called a world schooler, right? We're traveling the world. We're teaching our kids. Um, and that's, you know, that's challenging, but there is uh, an ecosystem of resources out there and there have been for a long time. There've been homeschoolers for for ages, about 5% of all students in the U.S. are, are homeschooled. So there are, you know, there's a variety of, of solutions. There's boxed curricula, there's online schools. Some of that stuff is a little hard for us to access because we are often in very remote places with janky internet. And so it's hard for us to, you know, log in to a, an out-of-school class or something like that. So, you know, some particular challenges. And when we first set off sailing, you know, we had this silly idea that, oh, the world will be our classroom and, you know, we'll just make it up as we go. It, <laughs> it ends up that teaching is really hard. Teachers are experts at their craft. And we sort of got bit pretty hard uh, in the first year. And so in the second year, we quickly scrambled and... Uh, put together, we, we found some curricula online and we sort of took a little bit of this and a little bit of that, which it ends up, there's a name for this, it's called eclectic homeschooling. So we became eclectic homeschoolers. And that, that worked fine for a number of years. And then as the kids got older and we became a little more concerned about college and you know not only getting them in to college, 
but also preparing them for when they get there. We, you know, we looked around for you know, ways to kind of amp up uh, school, and we found a teacher, and we hired her to teach our kids one-on-one. It was life-changing for everybody. I mean, it just, if, if we were operating at sort of four, we suddenly went to 11 in terms of like, <laughs> not to not to overdo the Spinal Tap reference, but we, uh, it just, you know, it just changed our lives. It changed our, our kids' lives. They loved it. They bonded with this teacher. So the next year we hired two more. And right now my youngest one is doing three of her five classes this way. So it was a game changer for us. And, you know, as you know, we've, we've founded and bootstrapped and run other businesses. And we thought, hey, you know, this is probably something that other families would, would get value out of. So it, it really interesting. So these teachers that you found, are they moonlighting from regular teaching gigs? Or because, you know, you're obviously, you're usually your time zone offset. Or are these people who are specializing in doing one-to-one learning? So it's a little bit of everything and more, right? So the pandemic has had, you know, an incredible impact in this in terms of teachers and how they've been disrupted out of education, what they're looking for. At this point, we have about 20 teachers in Cicero and they run the gamut. We've got a number who are retired, some of whom took early retirement, partly because of the pandemic. We have others who are on a hiatus. They're having children, families. We have others who are moonlighting. So they are teaching and then they do this on the side, either in the evenings or on the weekends or even in the summer. For us specifically as Cicero customers, right? Yeah, we have an unusual time zone. So we've benefited from when we found teachers who have been closer to our time zone, ones based in Europe or even here in South Africa. But most of our customers at this point are U.S. based and most of our teachers are based in the U.S. And to state the obvious, this sounds expensive. I mean, uh, one-on-one time with it. Not that teachers are paid an astronomical amount of money, but still. Yeah. No, the basic, you, you know, you don't have to be a, a brain surgeon to do the unit economics on this. Um, I think there's, there's sort of two problems with the business. One is it's expensive to hire a teacher one-on-one for your child. Not crazy expensive. Uh, in fact, if you do, if you go all in on Cicero and you do a full load, which would be five courses, you know, for a middle schooler or high schooler, it comes out to be about half of what you would pay for, um, you know, private school on the East Coast or the West Coast. And, and I would argue, we'll get into this, that I think the quality is there or even higher. But so it, it's, it's more expensive, certainly, than public school, but less expensive than private school. I think the bigger sort of issue for us is, you know, the consideration that goes into it, that parents, you know, this is important. This is their children's education. Um, They don't want to make a mistake and screw it up, you know, like I did at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, There's just a lot at stake and they want to get really good value out of it. You know, they want their kids to be prepared for college. They want to get into college. They also, on a deeper level, want to make sure that their kids are unlocking their creativity, their sense of inquiry, their intellectual curiosity, right? So there's just a lot at stake for them to make the decision, gosh, should I pull the trigger on this Cicero learning model? It sounds a little nichey. I mean, certainly this would appeal dead on to someone who is 
on a boat. But is is that the market or is your vision that this is actually something that's going to appeal to someone who does have the option of I can send my kids to private school or I can have them do it from home? So, I mean, when you think of it in terms of markets, I think there are three markets and I'll kind of go from niche to to larger. It's not a mass market service for sure, but each market does get bigger. So I think at the smallest level, you've got people like me, so-called world schoolers. And then a sort of larger pie than that are homeschoolers. Like I said, about 5% of all U.S. students are homeschooled. That number's almost doubled through the pandemic, believe it or not. Um, So it's currently, yeah, right. Well, I'm surprised it's only doubled. I'm surprised it's like 90% in a form of being homeschooled. But before you even get to the bigger world domination phase, I mean, how many world learners are there? How big is that market of just the people that you're starting with? Yeah. So if you look at the Facebook group for world schoolers, it's like 50,000 people. Wow. That group has grown, you know, through the pandemic, partly fueled by remote work. Right. So, you know, all these families, I mean, there's kind of two things going on with the pandemic, I think, that relate to Cicero. One is kids' education got horribly disrupted, right? So, you know, they were on the point, they and teachers were on the pointy end of a lot of what happened in the pandemic. And so parents are kind of looking around for, God, can I, can I do something that's more reliable <laughs> and always on? And secondly, families have been disrupted, right? So you have, everyone's working from home and it doesn't take long to realize, I could do this, you know, from Poughkeepsie or I could do this from Bali. Um, and surfs up in Bali. So you have a lot of lot of families who are saying, you know, I choose Bali, right? Can we take this act on the road? And you know, this is not a new phenomena. There have been digital nomads forever, but digital nomads are generally young professionals in their twenties or thirties. And now families are thinking, well, I could do it, except for this one thorny problem, which is school. So that world schooling niche is suddenly getting to be a lot larger, and there are a number of new startups operating in the space that we're you know, trying to build partnerships with. So first of all, really interesting, Paul, and I'm, I'm psyched to learn about this. And there's so many things that resonate. I mean, first, there's, of course, the, the fact that in some ways, this is how you and I met originally, because I wanted to live internationally. I was going to spend, this is after Netflix, I was going to spend some time living someplace outside the country. But we were for, forced, you'll see how strange it says to say forced, forced to pick someplace that had great schools. And so we were forced to live in Rome, which has phenomenal international schools because of the fact that you know every country has two embassies there, and one for the Vatican, one for uh, Italy, and there's three United Nations headquarters. So that is like the international school capital of the world. And so, yeah, we dragged ourselves to Rome and lived there. But I recognize the fact that how and where your kids get educated is a critical part of fulfilling that dream of I'd love to live somewhere else for a a while. And it sounds like your idea is something that unlocks that. Um, I also have to say that there are certainly some interesting parallels here between this and your previous business. And for those of you who, of course, have no idea what Paul's previous business was, he was the founder of Context Travel, which I was going to say might be one of my favorite service businesses in the world because it did extremely high-end tourism. When we were living in Rome, 
you would hire a guide. And this was not someone holding up an umbrella and saying, follow me. This is someone who did very, very small groups, and they were all generally PhDs in their category. So extremely smart and designed for people who really were curious about where they were. And so you basically were saying, let's take people who want to learn. Let's find people who are qualified to do that in an engaging, interactive, and educational way, and we'll connect them. And wow, that sounds in some ways a very similar model to what you're doing uh, with Cicero. So I get it, and I like it. So what's the problem? What can I help you with? Well, so we've got, um, you know, we've got a product, and you know, I've tested it. It's awesome. Um, and now we've got a couple of customers, and we're starting to bang our product against those customers and see what, what breaks. And we're learning a ton. You know, you know how it is in the early, early, early phase of a business. It's just all about learning about the product and, I guess, product market fit. I need more customers. And um, <laughs> gee, <laughs> what a novel problem. But I, I, I need customers and I've got, you know, so I've got sort of some basic customer acquisition problems. You know, we tried to do some advertising. It doesn't work anymore. You know, we're doing some content marketing, you know, all the, the sort of the tactical marketing stuff. But then I also have this sort of um, sales process problem or sort of consideration phase problem. I, I kind of alluded to it before where this is a big buy. It's expensive, but it's also, you know, expensive in terms of life. And also people change schools just twice a year. You know, you're in the Northern hemisphere, it's, you know, fall semester and spring semester. So, you know, I, I thought the travel business was seasonal. Uh, <laughs> this is even worse. I, you know, I, Probably should have thought about this before I started, but it's it's you know got this seasonality to it. It's got this sort of heavy consideration, and but I and my issue is I want to fill the funnel with as many people as possible, and, and I don't I don't care if people come in and say ah, not for me. That's helpful. It's a signal I can figure out you know why that didn't work. So it's interesting, and it certainly is a, a challenge that every business faces, and it's actually really interesting just because I've been telling this one particular story of the Netflix journey a lot recently. You know, things for some strange reason run in cycles, but everyone is now curious about at the beginning, how did we get customers there? And, and I, I tell that story about how I, you know, I camped out basically in the office parks of suburban New Jersey, trying to convince every DVD manufacturer to include a Netflix coupon in the box. And, it was successful in that we drove tremendous amounts of traffic to the Netflix website by people who wanted this place to find DVDs at a time when you could not find DVDs anywhere else. But what was interesting about it is that at that time, Netflix was a pretty much a failed business model. That the idea that everyone said would never work, well, it didn't work. But to your point, all these people who were flooding in gave us traffic to experiment with. It allowed us to conduct all the tests, to do all the iteration, to try all the different ways of trying to get DVD rental by mail to work that eventually a year and a half later allowed us to finally crack the puzzle. So I'm sensitive to exactly the problem you're trying to solve. What immediately leapt out at me is that education 
can be thought of in some ways as a pyramid. And what you're really talking about is the very, very tip of the pyramid, which is one-to-one bespoke education live, for the most part live. In other words, wow, this is almost the way that uh, royalty is or was educated, where you have a tutor who basically you're in charge, you're in charge of young Paul's education. And that person is there all the time going their lessons and turning them into a person. And that's the very pinnacle of education. Everyone aspires to that. And of course, not everyone needs that. Not everyone can afford that. Not everyone wants that. But what occurred to me is a perfect way it would seem for you to begin spreading the word of what your availability is, is to begin offering things that were further down the pyramid as either loss leaders or as a sampling mechanism. Because the thing that you are offering, especially if you're one of those 50,000 families who are doing this remote global learners, is it immediately appeals to them. They do not need to be convinced that, wow, this this might solve my problem. I think they need to be convinced, does this actually work? Is the quality of the education really there? What kind of teachers does this person provide? Is this worth the cost? I mean, all these questions, which you're correct, are going to come from trying it. And so what I would be doing is saying, what barriers can I knock down right away and let people begin to sample this or try this? To the degree that, I mean, again, you can tell me whether this works or doesn't work, whether you tried it or not trying this. But it would be really interesting to have free content, which is not designed to be part of your business model, although that's not necessarily inconceivable too once you begin accumulating it. But more importantly, for someone to see what the uh, the quality of the content is. It would be similar to being able to go on to Khan Academy, be watching some of the amazing lessons, and then be able to click and say, okay, I think I will sign up to get one-on-one instruction from this particular uh, professor. Yeah. Yeah, we've thought a little bit about that. And we've tried something similar, although different. What we've tried, and it's been really successful, is just setting up a sample class one-on-one for free, so a loss leader. But basically, you know, set up a one hour with one of our educators. We get a little bit about the, you know, the student. We, you know, there's a framework and a structure to it. But basically, you try it on like a garment in a in a store, and this has been, I mean, essentially, you do a test class and it, we have a hundred percent conversion at this point. So it's, it, it works well, but it's a little different than what you're, you're suggesting. You're suggesting something where we kind of create a broadcast, you know, a recorded class. Uh, and that we've thought about that. One of the, of the issues with it is to do that. Well, there's some production costs, right? We need to get a teacher to build a script and do something polished and, you know, all of the stuff around doing video. To me, it feels like a barrier. Well, yes, in fact, it is. And as you probably know, if you've listened to any of the other podcasts here, is polish is anathema to me. If something's polished, it's at least in the sample products you're talking about, then you're doing it all about the wrong thing. Breaking this into something which translates beyond just your particular case. I mean, you have these two barriers here. The first barrier, of course, is people have to hear about it. So there's obviously the problem of how do I get people to know this exists? And we can come back to that in a minute. 
But I think a bigger one is how do I get over the hump of saying, I want to do this. I want to become a customer. And I love the fact that the step just prior to signing up is getting a free class. So absolutely do that. But let's think about how we may be able to take that several steps even earlier and make it even easier for someone to make this sense of what is this about and will this really work for me? And the fact that you have 100% conversion, albeit in a very small sample size, suggests that it's working too well. That if you could scale that infinitely, it'd be great, but I don't think you can. That's a really, really hard thing to do. So when I was suggesting before about doing a sample, I don't need, mean you need to do a Khan Academy lesson designed to be consumed by a faceless person. Perhaps you see if some of your existing customers or perhaps your kids will permit you to actually let someone watch that full lesson, which immediately gives someone this opportunity to see and discover what in fact does this look like? Oh my gosh, it works reasonably well. And you can break it down further. So for example, you have a collection of here are full, I mean, I assume they're about 40 minute lessons, 50 minute lessons, whatever the yeah. attention, general attention span is. So you have the 50 minute versions, which someone can go into, and you can even reserve access to that if you want to laugh, do you've captured their content. You can use that as a, as a quid pro quo here, but you can even then say, fine, we're gonna take these, I'm gonna edit them down, I'm gonna create an eight minute version of what does a class look like? I'm gonna sort them out by age group. I'm gonna sort them out by different teacher types. I'm gonna give someone a way to over a limited amount of time quickly evaluate whether in fact this works for me. But in essence, what you're really trying to do is build that classic funnel, which I know that you've had a lot of experience doing, which is saying, I bring a lot of people to my website. I don't wanna say, great, here's the explanation, but now the only way that you can engage further is by raising your hand and saying, I want to do a full one-on-one -on -one sample lesson. So we're going to have an interview. We're going to figure out the right. Too hard, too hard for both parties. I don't want to engage with you yet. I have no idea who you really are. I want a, better, a way to get a little bit deeper sense of what's going on. A secondary method for that, and I'm just brainstorming here, you know, could be doing some version of live chat where basically you have the proverbial open house, which uh, I don't know whether you, you were in land-based, oh, certainly you were. I don't remember whether your kids went to Ambrit too, but like at every school, you know, there's that open house day and everyone goes in and on the wall are uh, all the, the artwork and you get a chance to hear the teacher give a little presentation. But it could be, for example, you say, listen, from um, four to 6 p.m. Greenwich time, you'll be able to ask any questions you want uh, in a live chat format with one of our better tutors here or with you or in other words, you're trying to find all these different ways and what you're experimenting with is which of these engagements end up progressing someone further down the funnel. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. The other one is that you have a premium product, but <laughs> I'm going to guess here. I'm saying it, I'm, you don't need to even reveal what this is because I don't want to turn anybody away. But listen, I sent my kids to independent, we call them independent schools, not private schools, independent schools for um, a long, long time. 
And it's really expensive. And even 50% to get something which is uh, one-on-one is a big nut. And so it's, can I develop some tier interim products? Not that are my key thing, but that again, give someone a different ability to engage with the understanding that that becomes the further funnel to bring someone down to actually buying the premier high-end product. Early, early on, one of the very first podcasts I did was a young woman who had worked for many years as a, a pickup artist, help, you know, helping men pick up women. And then she realized how dysfunctional that was, and she converted her business into one where she helped people establish connections. I mean, kind of a high-end dating service, but basically, how do I find a soulmate? not someone I just want to sleep with. And she did very similar to what you were talking about, which she did one-on-one consulting, but it's had the same problem. It was all or nothing. And what we did for her was break it out and say, let's begin building this funnel. At the very highest level, you can do written advice. The next level down, you have video advice. The next level down, you have group sessions. And yes, you, you'll end up with three or four X doing one-to-one because you did 16 X at the group lessons. You did 160 X at the video and you did 1600 X absorbing the written material. So again, it's not just for you. It's for anyone who has this great idea for a high-end service product is saying, I need to build a funnel, but a funnel is not just you come to the website and how do I capture your email address? A funnel is how do I find ways to engage, which I've deeply thought about what are the barriers for someone, and I strip those away so that they have a chance to become comfortable with me and being transparent, a chance for you to begin little by little demonstrating, telling, showing how what you're doing is so much more um, compelling. Yeah. Uh, that's great advice. You know, it, it reminds me, you know, over at Context Travel, my old business, you know, we used to have the same problem. That was an expensive product to do, a, especially a private tour. So then we had these small group tours, which were a lot less expensive. And then we rolled out these, we called them orientation tours. I think they're called introductory tours now. And they were, they were quite affordable, uh, like 20 bucks or something like that. But they were still high you know high quality just shorter little larger group and it was an entry product that people could could take and then they would you know we would blow their mind and then they would you know book something else on their trip so it it makes a lot of sense and i hadn't really been thinking about it that way i'd been thinking oh yeah we need to record uh you know some of our classes and make sort of a video that's a marketing tool it's kind of out there hadn't really thought about you know sort of building different levels of it. Maybe the first one's free and the next one's a small amount that's uh, actually a class and you get some real like learning content out of it. It's not a marketing piece per se, but it's something that you engage with and then you, know, you go further down the line. What you said about context travel is dead on. You've done this before, which is you're right. You know, I, I went through that path. I started off with a group and then I went to the small group and then all of a sudden I'm going, wow, having just me and my wife on these things, getting three hours with someone who's a PhD on studied their whole life on this particular, just blew your, blows your mind. But it's expensive and you're comparing it to something which superficially seems the same. Why am I paying this much money for a tour? But no, this isn't a tour. 
And yours is not a different version of online education. Yours is a whole new beast. It's expensive, but it's unbelievable. Let's talk for a second, um, if we have some, a moment or two, about the front end. How are you drawing people in? How are you letting people know about you? So, like I mentioned before, we did a little bit of advertising, Google ads, Facebook ads. Um, those are expensive these days and didn't perform real well. Um, so now we're doing some content marketing. So we're building a, a newsletter, email list. Um, we're sharing helpful content about homeschooling and world schooling and, you know, things of this sort. We've started working on some partnerships. Uh, so working with other organizations that are sort of addressing this space, but differently. For example, we've been talking to uh, an organization that services digital nomads. It kind of helps them get set up with their lodging and their workspace, and they want to address families and working professionals with kids, but they haven't had a solution for that. So we've sort of walked in and said, look, we can solve that problem for you. And we're doing a lot of hand selling, right? So I'm just, you know, telling all my friends about it and <laughs> telling, you know, other people in the education space or disruptive education space and just kind of, yeah, I'm on the phone a lot with potential customers. Yeah, this is kind of a hybrid in a sense that generally when you have an extremely small market, one-on-one -on -one selling is critical because you can't afford to have a prospect who you don't close. I mean, the classic example is if you're an airplane manufacturer, there just are not that many customers in the world. So you cannot have a funnel and say, we're going to get all 200 national airlines and we're going to close 2% of them because you quickly run out of airlines. By the same token, at the other end, there's some markets which are essentially unlimited, millions of potential customers. And then you could do a very, very broad net and then just sift. And with 50,000 global learners, you're kind of in the middle. Um, you can afford to throw a net out there, and which is why I'm not sure how effective a use of your time the one-on-one -on -one marketing is. One-on-one -on -one closing is a different matter. For a product which is probably priced where yours are, you probably can afford to bundle in quite a large acquisition cost, and a big chunk of that is closing. I mean, I'm always struck. And you must have gone through this too with your oldest daughter. You're touring colleges and you're depending up whether you're, if you're looking at, you know, independent uh, liberal arts schools, you're looking at 200,000 plus 250,000, $300,000 over four years. And who do they have out there selling? They have an untrained 19 year old. And it blows my mind. I mean, listen, there's credibility in having a student lead you around, but for God's sake, that person should really understand that you're selling a $300,000 product. For God's sake, take this seriously. So the same thing goes for you. At the point you've narrowed the funnel down to someone who's generally on the hook, that's the, how to allocate your time to make sure you can take someone over the hump because the difference between being in and being out is pretty dramatic to you. But this is all me just all of a sudden getting excited about the business and rambling on a little bit about it. But the, the thing is, I think the thing that you're doing, which I love hearing about is the content marketing. This is so classically a content marketing problem. And to the degree you are not already world renowned as an authority on remote learning for global uh, learners, you should be, you should be angling to be in uh, 
the columnist in yachting or whatever the, the magazine <laughs> is for the people who live on their boats. I'm sure there are these. That whatever sources you can have that people who are in your demographic, meaning your demographic as a consumer now, you should be out saying, how do I establish myself and my approach as being a thought leader in this space? Because that, that's what you need to do is you need to let everybody know that this thing is out there. And that has to be stage one. And I really think paid is crazy at this point, but it's everyone is searching for the solution. And the solution you've come up with is different than what most people are doing. And your evidence is that it's working. And you should be spreading that word as widely as you can by giving away your content for free to whoever's willing to publish it. Um, and using that as a way to drive, that's your equivalent of putting the DVD coupons in the DVD player boxes. And then having an intelligent strategy of how you convert, the, how you build that funnel, not just funnel one is you land, funnel two is I get your email, and funnel three is I mail you a brochure. No, it's really being intelligent about how do I build out a series of offerings that gradually constrict in what someone has to get over in order to uh, do it. And you're selling a, well, I'll say it, you're probably selling a $25,000 plus uh, a year product. You need to get that part right. Yeah, you know, and I think content marketing is exciting too because it ties into that, the issue of the funnel, right? It's about, you know, when I was a journalist <clears throat> back in the day, we always had the adage, show, don't tell, right? So I can't, it's not that effective for me to go out and tell the world, Cicero is great, like, you know, we have great outcomes. I need to show them, and the way you show in marketing is through content. Like, here you go, here's some content, you know, see how it is, try it on, taste it, feel it, come in deeper, have some more, right? So it. Enlist your tutors to help you. Have them be doing brief pieces where they talk about what they've learned about teaching math remotely, what they've learned about how to integrate geography how to integrate place with uh, the topics. I mean, you know these things. Well, listen, Paul, just about out of time, as they say in showbiz, but this is fantastic. I'm really excited. And, you know, listen, I was so delighted to be a customer of Context Travel, and pretty much I began picking where in the world I wanted to go if it had a Context Travel outpost there. And Gosh, now I really want to go get a boat and go uh, live uh, live in the uh, South Pacific someplace just so I can use this for learning. But anyway, good luck with this. And um, what you owe us is I want to check in with you uh, wherever in the world you are and maybe a year or so, six months, find out uh, how it's going. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure, Mark. Thanks a lot for helping me kind of dig into these ideas and problems. Super helpful. Good luck, Paul. Go get them. All right. All right. Cheers. Hey, to learn more, check out my book. It's called That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. It's coming out in paperback on June 7th, and you can find it in bookstores everywhere. If you're listening, did you know there's also a video version of this podcast? Yes, there is, and you can find it on YouTube at YouTube forward slash Mark Randolph. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe so you don't miss a single weekly episode. If you've got a business problem you're struggling with and would like to join me on the show, simply come to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. And while you're there, add yourself to my mailing list so you're up to date on all my news and entrepreneurial tips. And finally, if a 30-minute podcast is just too much, I share all my hints and tips in more easily digestible nuggets on Twitter, 
Instagram, LinkedIn, and yes, even TikTok. You'll find links to all this stuff, plus my blogs and other writing on markrandolph.com. Check it out. Thanks again for listening and see you all next week. Group.